When we took our first miracle offering to begin this building, Pastor Jimmy Evans was here, and he preached a message out of John 2 called What Mary Knew About Miracles. And for about three or four weeks, that's been going around in my heart, one line from, from that message, one verse from that, from this passage. And so I listened to the, the message again that he preached, and I began to study the passage, and that's what I want, I want to talk about this week. What, and not, not what Mary knew about miracles, but I'm calling it obedience is the key. It's the key to us moving on in God. It's the key to everything that we're going to do in this life, including the area of giving, but it's the key in our, our marriage, our health, our spiritual walk. Obedience is the key to receiving any type of a miracle from God. If you want to walk a miraculous life, then obedience is the key. So John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. I want you to remember that line. Whatever he says to you, do it. Verse 6. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. Now let me tell you a couple things about weddings in Israel, and especially during that time period that you might not know. These would go on for days. The reception went on several days. We just read the verse a moment ago. We started with on the third day. This is the third day of the reception. The bride and groom were treated like kings and queens for seven days. They didn't go on a honeymoon. They stayed right there in town, which is kind of the pits. But anyway, to kind of compensate for not going on a carnival cruise, you know, they... They uh, had this party, they had this reception that just went on and on for days, and they were treated like royalty during that time. But it was the responsibility of the groom's family to provide the food and the drink for that period of time. And if they ran out, then everybody went home early. They were mad about it because they planned the long weekend, and, and they didn't get to stay for the whole thing, and, and, the, and it was a, a disgrace to the family, to both families that lived in that community, and it was a scandal and a shame for the rest of their lives. For this couple that was getting married, it would have been something that they would have carried with them for the rest of their lives, remembering that at their reception that was supposed to last so many days, it ended early and everybody went home griping. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm trying to set the, the background for this miracle, because it, it doesn't seem like it's this miracle that has... Uh, a lot of significance to it. It's simply helping a family avoid embarrassment in the community. And, and Mary comes to Jesus. Now Mary and Jesus are invited, and history tells us, tradition tells us, that they were invited because it was 
a part of their family, a distant part of their family. Some theologians believe it was actually John that wrote the book of John, that it was his wedding. And Jesus was a second cousin. Otherwise, why would Mary and Jesus be invited to the wedding? They were probably, they could have been friends, but probably family. And that also probably tells us why Mary was so concerned. Because it was one of her relatives. She's concerned about these things. Now, here's my question, though. Why did she go to Jesus when they ran out of wine? It said, you know, that they run out of wine and Mary goes to Jesus. And notice what she says. It's very to the point. She said, they have no wine. They're out of wine. They ran out of wine. And Jesus is like, what are you telling me for? I think Mary gave him one of those mother looks, you know. You know what I'm talking about, young man. You know why I'm coming to you. Because you're the son of God. I know who you are. And this is going to be an embarrassment to the family here. I want you to do something about it. That's why she came. Now, what I'm going to tell you is just conjecture. I, I know that. But this is, the Bible says this is the first sign that he did. You know, a sign to the community. But it doesn't really say it's the first miracle that he did. I, I just, I just kind of wonder if growing up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> miraculous things happened around Jesus. I wonder if he ever got caught walking on the pond instead of swimming in the pond, you know? <laughs> get, get back down. Get in the water like the rest of the kids. You know, I don't know. I don't know if Skippy, you know, the family pet, got hit by a chariot, you know, and the brothers of Jesus and the sisters are crying, and, and they're just bawling their eyes out because Skippy died. And, you know, Mary gives him the look. And Jesus like, I'm not supposed to. I'm not. No. And so Jesus goes out and gets the dog and brings him in. Hey, look, he's okay. <laughs> he was just knocked out. He's all right. I don't know. I don't know if he was doing his homework one night, you know, and, and uh, Mary said, Jesus, I need you to go to the grocery store. I'm out of flour. I'm kind of busy, Mom. Yeah, but I've got to have flour. Why don't you look in the cabinet again, Mom? <laughs> I don't know. I know it's conjecture, but I don't know why Mary went to Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? She, she must have known that he had the ability to do something about it. Because she goes and she says, they have no wine. And then I want you to notice what she does, okay? She says, they have no wine. And Jesus said, hey, what does your concern about this have to do with me? I'm, you know, it almost sounds like the typical male answer. I hate to say that. But what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you telling me for? Listen, Mom, it's not my time. And then notice what she does. She turns around to the servants and she says, whatever he says, do it. Hmm. I mean, now he's stuck, you know. Typical mother. She's not taking no for an answer. Whatever he says, do it. And I want you to think about that. That's the phrase that's been going over and over in my spirit when we talk about giving to the Lord. I don't want you to give by compulsion. I don't want you to give by pressure. I don't want you to give for any of the wrong reasons. All I'm asking you to do today, whatever he says, do it. That's all I'm asking you to do. Whatever he says, do it. And here's the, here's the thing that, that jumps out to me about this phrase. Whatever. Whatever. No matter how crazy it sounds. How crazy was it to fill up water pots with water when they were out of wine? What, what he tells you to do might sound crazy. It might not make any sense 
on this earth. But if he says do it, and you want to see a miracle, do it. Whatever he says, do it. And then he, she puts those last two words on it. Do it. Do it. Do it. In other words, whatever he says, just do it. Nike has made a zillion dollars off of Mary. Mary's the one that came up with, just do it. Just do it. Whatever he says, just do it. Don't think about it. Don't talk yourself out of it. And I'm not talking about working yourself up to giving a, a, a large offering. I'm telling you, if he says do it, do it. If you want to see a miracle, do it. Step out and do it. There's three things about obedience that I want to talk to you about today. Number one, obedience can be measured. Obedience can be measured. Jesus said to fill the water pots with water. To fill them with water. And this is what it said. We just read it a moment ago. And they filled them up to the brim. Now, when you fill something up to the brim, it's almost got that little bubble on top. You can't get another drop in. It's filled up to the very top. Think about this. Every drop of water that they put in those water pots became a drop of heaven's wine. Wine from heaven. Every drop. What if they'd only filled it up, you know, six inches from the top? What if they hadn't filled it up all the way? Well, they'd still got wine, but they wouldn't got as much. You determine the measure that God blesses you with. That's what we read just a few weeks ago in Luke 6. With the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Whatever measure you give with is what you're going to get back with. If you use a teaspoon to give to the kingdom, God's going to use a teaspoon to give back to you. See, a measure, whatever measure you use. If you use a, 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 a quart, God's going to use a quart to give back to you. If you use a, a, a bucket, God's going to use a bucket. If you use a dump truck, He's going to use a dump truck. You determine the extent of the miracle by your obedience, by my obedience. I determine it. We determine the extent of our miracle. They determined how much wine they got by how much water they put in. They put in something natural, Jesus turned it into something supernatural. So my question for you today is, what measure are you going to use? Are you going to fill it up to the brim? Are you going to give as much as you can? Are you going to give a little bit? If you give a little, you're going to get a little back. If you give much, you're going to give much back. That's the spiritual principle. That's the biblical principle. Uh, a lady last week a single mother came up to me after the service and said, I've been struggling with this tithing message. And she said, I got paid last week and I finally decided I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. She said, I got paid $1,030. And so I decided I'm going to give a full tithe, $103. And she said, immediately when I decided it, the Lord said, give 120 And she said, Lord, this, this is a struggle. To give the full 10%. I'm a single parent. I, I'm on a fixed income. By the way, I understand the phrase a fixed income. But my question for you is, who are you letting fix it? Or, or this phrase, I'm on a limited income. Who's limiting it? Who's setting the limits on it? Uh, do you really believe your income comes from the world? Or do you believe it comes from God as a child of God? And so she's arguing with the Lord. Lord, this is, a, this is a struggle. And I understand. I understand. I'm telling you, I understand that. She's going through the struggle. And so but she kept hearing the Lord said, give over and above the tithe. Give more. Trust me. Give 120. 
And so she did. She wrote the check for 120. She came. She put it in the offering box. Someone walked up to her last weekend after she gave the check and gave her check for $120, the exact amount. She determined the measure that God gave back to her. She came up to me so excited. I gave today. First time. And someone immediately walked. That day. That day. God speaks to someone. Go give her that. And this amount. Listen, this is supernatural what I'm talking about. And what prompts the supernatural in your life is obedience. Obedience can be measured. Here's the second thing about obedience. Obedience transforms dead religion into exciting faith. Obedience transforms dead religion into exciting faith. Have any of you been a part of a dead religious society? (laughs) There's nothing worse, is there? These were ceremonial washing pots. These were according to the purification of the Jews. They had no spiritual significance. It was religion. Religion. How do you think people came to those water pots? Excited? No. They just went through, you know, I've got to wash and do this, you know, before we go to church. There was nothing exciting about those water pots until Jesus got involved. And once Jesus got involved, those water pots became party central. They were an exciting place to be now. Think about how many people were hanging around those water pots by the end of the evening. They loved those water pots. Some of them might have said, can I take that water pot home with me? You know, I don't know. But those water pots became more than just dead religion. They turned into exciting faith. And those servants had to have that faith. I don't know what he said. You know who had to have the most faith? The servant that took it to the master of the feast. He had his life in his hands. The servant that took the ladle, but he had just filled it with water and took it and took it and said, taste this, it's good. (laughs) I know some believers that have been believers for years and some people who've been believers for a long time are the most boring people you could ever want to be around. They're Christian fossils. You ever been around them? They don't move very much at all. But I've been around some other believers that have been believers for a long time, and they're still excited about Jesus. You want to know why? Because obedience is the key. Because they're living a life of excitement. And let me tell you a life of excitement. Whatever he says, do it. You want to be excited? Whatever he says, do it. See, I don't have a boring life. I told you just a little bit of, of, of our testimony last week of giving. I have one of the most exciting lives I know. You want to know why? Because he keeps scaring me. He keeps me on the edge. There's no way I could get bored. If you're bored with church, start obeying Jesus. Start doing whatever he says. I have a friend of mine. He's a member of another church, and they were raising funds to build a building. And they were asking for a three-year commitment. And so he began to pray, Lord, I ask you to speak to me an amount to give over the next three years. And, and, and he just, you know, I'm, I'm asking you to speak to me. And immediately the Lord said to him, $50,000. He said, Lord, I'm going to pray about this for a while. I'm just starting. You don't have to tell me yet. Just think about it for a while. The Lord said $50,000 over the next three years. $50,000. He just overwhelmed. So he began to think, well, God, you've blessed me in the past. And I guess if you bless me, that might be possible. And 
He was uh, out in his backyard, and he lives in Irving, and an airplane flew over from the airport. And he looked up, and he's watching this airplane fly over, and the Lord spoke to him and said, Do you think I'm just going to drop this 50000 out of the sky? What are you looking up in the air for? He said, Where you need to be is in your office looking at your budget, figuring out how to do this, because I'm telling you I want you to give $50,000 over the next three years. So he went in, and he began to look at his budget, and he said, Well, God... If, if I were to do this, I guess I could cut, you know, upgrading my vehicle, not rather than upgrade every three years or whatever it was, I could wait another three years. And the Lord said, uh-huh, yeah, you could do that. So he pulls that out. And I guess I, I could pull that out. And he pulled it. And he figured out what he, he would have to give on a monthly basis to give $50,000. And when he took all the things out of his budget that he felt like God was selling to, he added up. It was the exact amount. It was the exact amount. He said, God, but this is going to be a struggle. This is going to be a strain. The Lord said, just do it. Trust me. At the end of the three years, he looked back and he, everything he cut out of his budget, God had so blessed him, he put back in. Everything you tell you now, he didn't lose anything. God had blessed him that much. But here's the amazing thing. At the end of the three years, after he gave the $50,000, he got a letter from DFW Airport that said, we've conducted a study, and your house is in the flight pattern. His neighbor's house, by the way, wasn't in the flight pattern. His was the, the how many feet away from the runway, and the neighbor's was too many feet. And they said, we've conducted a study, and we're going to pay you an amount of money for the effect that this has on your house. And you know what they gave him? $50,000. $50,000, the exact amount God told him to give. After, three years later, after he gave it. And he said, that night, I was standing out in the yard, heard a plane again, looked up, and he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I can drop it out of the sky if I want to. <laughs> That's not that hard for me, just to let you know. But he never, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he had to sacrifice you understand, we hear these testimonies say, well, I'd like for God to drop it out of the sky for me. Three years of cutting things out of his budget. Three years of making a sacrifice to be able to do this. Obedience transforms dead religion into exciting faith. And here's the third thing. Obedience is the key to our heart's desires. Obedience is the key to our heart's desires. Boy, if you don't hear anything today, I want you to hear this. Obedience is the key to getting your heart's desires met. Think about this miracle. Jesus' first public miracle, his sign, this that he did in John 2, it was not raising someone from the dead. It was not healing someone. It was simply blessing a family at their children's wedding with the refreshments. Helping them pay for the refreshments of their children's wedding. Are you, are you catching this? This is the first miracle that Jesus did that we know of in Scripture. Here it is. Here's what it is. All it is is helping a family pay for the refreshments at their children's wedding. That's it. You know what that tells me? God cares about the things you care about. You care about your family? God cares about your family. You care about sending your children to college? God cares about sending your children to college. You care about having good medical and dental for your family? God cares about that. God cares about those things. And here's what I'm telling you. We, we've got this thing that I've got to keep my heart's desires over here. And, and, and Lord, uh, you're asking me to give this, and the pastor's asking me to give, but I'll have to keep something back now for my heart's desires. 
I'm telling you the key to getting your heart's desires is giving to God. Is obeying whatever he says. Look at this verse, Psalm 34, verse 7. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Every time I've given to land or to a building or to, to the church over and above, every time I've had needs. Every time my own family, we've gone through things and we've had needs every, every, every time that I've done it. But here's what I've learned. Please catch this. If you'll build God's house, he'll build your house. And I'm going to tell you something that you might not even believe, but if you believe it, it will change your life. God wants to bless you more than you want to bless yourself if you'll give him the opportunity. I'll tell you something else, too. God will bless you more than you'll bless yourself if you'll give him the opportunity. And I'll give you two reasons why God will bless you more than you'll bless yourself. The second reason is, I want to do that in first because the other one I think is more important. The second reason is because he has more money than you do. He has more ability to take care of your family than you do. Here's the first reason, though, he'll bless you more than you'll bless yourself. Because he loves you more. Listen to me. He loves you more than you even love yourself. He loves you more than you love your family. He loves you so much that he was willing to give up the most important, precious thing he had to get you. Why wouldn't he want to bless you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so he could ruin our lives. No! He wants to bless us. He wants to give us our heart's desires. And we have this thing that, you know, well, maybe my heart's desires are wrong. It's not wrong to want to send your children to college. It's not even wrong to want to have a nicer home. We've got all these things that God really doesn't want to bless us. God doesn't want to provide for us. And if I'm going to, if anyone's going to provide for me, I'm going to have to provide for me. And I'm telling you, God wants to bless you more than you want to bless yourself. But obedience is the key. Doing whatever he says, that's the key. He said, seek me first, and all these other things I'll give you. You seek me first and my righteousness, and I'll give you all these other things. Do you understand, if you seek God first, you not only get God and his righteousness, you get all the other things too. But if you don't seek God and him first and his righteousness, you don't get God and you don't get his righteousness and you don't get the other things too. And by the way, if you get the other things, they'll become a curse to you, not a blessing. It's the blessing of the Lord. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. I know a whole lot of people that have had a lot of things and they got a lot of sorrow too. When God blesses you, there's no he adds no sorrow to it. See, there are a lot of people that got things, but they lost their marriage to get it. They lost their health to get it. They lost their children to get it. They lost their ethics to get it. But when you serve God and Him first, He wants to bless us. Whatever He says, do it. Jesus is sitting at the table of the desires of your heart, waiting for you to obey Him, to do whatever He says. You know, when... When Jesus said, Mother, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Do you know what he was, a translation of that is? Mother, they haven't recognized me yet for who I really am. Nor included me in this situation. That's a translation. Listen, Mother, they haven't recognized me yet 
for who I am, and they haven't included me in this situation. He wasn't telling her no because he was already he's already planning on doing it. He knows the future. He's going to do it. So he wasn't telling her no. And he didn't do it just because his mother asked him to. It was a plan. It was planned before the foundation of the world. He was going to do the miracle. Here's what he's saying. They're not recognizing me yet. And they're not including me in this situation. But then he goes ahead and does it. But here's what I'm asking you. Have you recognized him for who he is? And are you including him in your situation? He is seated. I want to say it again. He is seated at the table of your heart's desires, and he knows that you don't have enough to fulfill your heart's desires for your family. He knows you don't have enough, and he's seated at that table waiting for you to include him in the situation and waiting for you to recognize him for who he is. When we did the... uh, first miracle offering, God spoke something to my heart that he um, spoke to me years ago in giving. He told, this was just a few years ago, and he spoke to our hearts that he wanted Debbie and I to give everything. And the first time that we ever gave everything, I told you about last week, I told you about the financial blessing of us giving the, the vehicles, our home, everything we had, all the cash, and how God blessed us financially. Well, let me tell you the greater blessing of that. Much greater blessing. After I gave everything I was reading in the Bible, and there I came across this story that most of us know, probably all of us know. It's one of the most famous stories about Solomon. And that is that God appeared to Solomon in a dream and said, ask whatever you want. Do you remember that? It's 1 Kings 3, verse 5. It says that Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said to him, ask, what shall I give you? Now, the first time that Debbie and I ever gave everything, God, I'm reading this just a few days later. And the Lord said to me, I got to this verse, and I thought, oh, I remember this story, you know. And the Lord said to me, did you read what was before it? Did you read that? He said, so many people know that I came to Solomon, and I said, ask anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And we know Solomon asked for wisdom. But he said, they don't know what happened right before that. And look at, look, look at the verse right before it. Verse 4 says, Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. A thousand burnt offerings. It was customary for a king, when he, when he was anointed king, to go to the altar, to go to Gibeon, and to sacrifice one burnt offering. One burnt offering. Solomon offered one thousand burnt offerings. I think if the people were around him, they probably said to him, Listen, king, if you want to do something that no king's ever done, give ten. If you want to really go down in history, then give a hundred. But not a thousand. I mean, this is crazy. Not a thousand. You know what I think Solomon said? I don't want to go down in history. I don't want to do something that no king's ever done. I want to give to God. And he makes an extravagant gift to the Lord. And then the Lord shows up and says, ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. Listen to me. Here's what God spoke to me that day. He said, I only say this to givers. I would never say to a selfish person, ask anything you want and I'll give it. Because they'll ask for themselves. But once I break someone's heart, and once they become kingdom minded, 
And once they become extravagant givers, I can trust them. And I come to extravagant givers, and I say to them, ask me, whatever you want. And that day, I was 25 years old, almost 20 years ago now. I'm sitting in that chair, and the Lord speaks to me and says to me, right after we'd given that extravagant gift, he says, ask anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And I remember immediately I knew what I wanted. I said, I want Debbie for the rest of my life. That's what I want. I know a whole lot of preachers that lose their marriage. And I don't want to lose my marriage, God. And I want us to be passionately in love for our whole lives. That's what I want. And here's what God said. You can have it. And we have the best relationship. Listen to me. That's worth more than an airplane. That's worth more than any amount of money. And three years ago when we were starting this building, God spoke to us again, give everything. And we did it again. And the Lord took me back to that verse and reminded me and said, ask. What do you want to ask? You know what I said? I said, I want my children to fall passionately in love with you. You know, you raise them right. You do everything you can for them. You can't make them love God. I said, God, I want you to do such a work in their heart that they fall passionately in love with you personally. They, they have their personal relationship with you. And I got great kids. Never given us any problem. Great kids. We started watching over the next few months. Our children just begin to fall passionately in love with Jesus. Go up to wake them up in the morning and their Bible be open on the nightstand. What, what amount of money is that worth? That they fell asleep reading their Bible. And we watched God do such a work in their life, but our son James, he just began to change. It took a few months, but then all of a sudden, he just, I mean, he began to change. James is our strong-willed child. <laughs> you got one of those? <laughs> when Josh and James were young, Josh would, would start to touch something, and I'd say, no. And if I said it too loud, he was very sensitive, you know. If I said no like that, he, you know, he's, you know, I just, I knew I wounded his spirit. And so I'd have to say to him, no, 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 son, don't, don't touch that. We don't touch that. And I'd have to talk real soft because I have a, a big voice, you know. Not James. No, 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 no. I'd say, no, don't touch that. Here's what he'd do. And I'd take his hand. I'm talking about between one and two years old. And I'd take his hand. And I'd say, no. Just like that. He'd go like this. And I'd take his hand again. No. I mean, I'd bust his hand. It'd be hurting. It just hurt my hands to do that. Hurt your hand, you know. And he'd just sit there. Well, you'd spake his hand. And he'd take it like this. And he was a, a great child. He didn't get into trouble. He didn't do all that stuff. He's just strong. And here I'm praying, saying, God, let my children fall passionate in love with you. And all of a sudden, he just flips. His attitude, kindness, compassion. He started being nice to his sister. That's a miracle. <laughs> you know God's involved when something like that happens. So we were talking to him one day, and I said to him, James... You, 
You've just changed so much over the past few months. What, what, what happened? Why, why have you changed so much? You know what he said? Well, it's probably because I got saved. He was 15 years old at the time. He'd walked down the aisle when he was young. We'd prayed the prayer with him. We'd done all those things that we could do as parents. I said, you, what do you mean you got saved? He said, well, a few months ago, he said, I realized that I never submitted my will to the Lord. And I got saved, truly saved. And I said to him, when? When did it happen? He said, the night you shared your testimony. I got saved, Dad, when you were preaching. What's that worth? Here's what I'm telling you today. Whatever he says, do it. It's the key to miracles, and it's the key to your heart's desires coming to pass. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's God saying to you? Maybe you came prepared to give today because the Lord has already spoken to you. Or maybe you didn't come prepared yet. You don't know the amount. You don't know what God's saying. I want you to pray now. We're going to give today to the Lord. Not to impress anyone. But to honor the Lord. And I'm asking you to give an extravagant gift. Not just a gift. But what's extravagant for you. It'll be different for every one of us. But what's extravagant for you. Maybe Dean, during this message, God's been prompting you to go do more than what you thought. And if you're married, you'll need to talk with your spouse and get agreement. But I'm asking you to give whatever God tells you to give. Whatever he says, do it. That's all I'm asking you to do. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every person here. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bless the families that are here today and represented by this church. Thank you, Lord, that you care about our heart's desires. Thank you, Lord, that you tell us what to do. And when we do it, it's a key to miracles in our lives. In Jesus' name.